Uh, we're so glad to be here with you today, whether you're tuning in online or whether you're here with us uh, in person. Uh, my name is Mike Rutledge, and uh, if we haven't met, I'd love to meet you today and uh, just talk to you. We're, we're in a, uh, the fourth week of a series that we started called Good News, and I, you know, you watch that story, that's good news. <laughs> People's lives change. And that's why we exist as an organization, because we believe that God wants to continue to grow us into the people he made us to be, to live a flourishing life. And there's no better news than that. We're going to be talking about that today. Uh, like I said, we're in a series called Good News. It comes from the, the, the term gospel, which, which means literally good news or good message. And um, the first week we talked, if you were here, we talked about the fact that the, the, the story of Jesus, what Jesus told us was good news. And as a matter of fact, we have four accounts. This is free, no extra charge on this little tidbit of information. We have four accounts of Jesus' life. You know what they're called? The Gospels, because it's the good news about Jesus' life. But the first week, we talked about the good news of Jesus' story. Then, then, then the next week, we followed up with talking about our ability to be forgiven and live in freedom because we're free from not, not grudges or problems in relationships. And then last week, uh, Dave led us through this super cool concept that we, uh, through Christ, have been given the power and the position to live outside of the control of sin. And everyone here, there's not a single person in here who wants to be controlled by anything, let alone sin. So it is really great news. Today, we're going to be carrying on. We're going to be talking about the good news of grace. Now, Grace is kind of interesting um, because it's, it's, you know, when you're receiving grace, you love it. When you're given the opportunity to extend it, it's not quite so great. You know why? Because extending grace costs you something. If someone owes you some money and you give them grace, yeah, let me just say this. Let's, let's, uh, let's get, divide the church right now. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this new thing about debt relief for college students, right? The loans. <laughs> so, see, the problem is that someone's got to pay for it. As best I can tell, that's kind of at the heart of the issue, that people are frustrated with that. But here's a, let me just, let me just, that's the issue. Let me just ask you a better question about grace. Can you disagree with someone on that? and still be okay with them, because that's what grace is, <laughs> right there. And so I hope that we can get to that place. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about grace. But by the way, when you, there's, grace is, what else is interesting about it is that grace can lead to some stuff that's not always great if it's not connected to a change of heart. What do I mean? Well, if you're a parent here, you've had this probably happen, where you've, uh, your kids do something, you let them off the hook, and then it happens again. You know, it's, it's like you have the rules, hey, if you do this, this is what happens. You say, okay, I'm going to give you a break this time. And then it happens again, and you say, well, you're in trouble. Here's what's going to happen. What do they say? Well, last time, <laughs> right? So grace can sometimes even produce this sense of entitlement, or I deserve grace, Right? But grace, in the good way, is good. And, you know, uh, let, me, let me just share this story. When I was a senior in high school, I moved, we, we, I transferred schools my senior year. Uh, parents, if you can avoid doing that, do that for your kids. <laughs> um, anyway, 
I played sports all through high school and college, and, and um, so I transferred. But in Michigan at that time, if you transferred, you had to sit out for the first semester of school for, for sports. You couldn't play. Well, I tried. I, I played on the soccer team, but I could only play in the scrimmages, which I scored in, by the way. And, um, <laughs> but I couldn't play in the games. And then that season ended, and then basketball season kicked off in like December, and I, I went to go try out. I was super excited. I still had to wait till January to be eligible to play. But I tried out for the team, and here's what happened. About a week before tryouts, I got really, really, really sick. I got pneumonia, and I had bronchitis, and a, this, this whole cocktail. I was on my backside for a whole week but I was not gonna miss tryouts. So I showed up on Monday. Well, this coach had this uh, philosophy that in order to play in the varsity, you had to run a six minute mile, okay? Well, <laughs> I showed up at school and they ran it on the Friday before, but I wasn't there because I was sick. So I ran, I went out and I went up to the coach and I said, hey, I wanna try out, but I was sick last week. Uh, what do I have to do? He gave me a stopwatch. He said, go run a six minute mile. Time yourself, we're practicing in about 20 minutes. All right, well, I did my very best, but I was in terror. I, like, I couldn't breathe. I felt dizzy. I thought I was going to pass out the whole time. So I go and uh, I, run the, I run it. He gives me the stopwatch. And he, maybe he was telling me to cheat and lie. I don't know. But anyway, I wasn't going to do that. I run. I come in at 6.08, and I'm about to die. And now I have <laughs> tryouts. So I go to him. And I just said, hey, coach, sorry, I didn't make it. He said to me, Come to practice anyway. I said, all right. So he was, he was pretty stringent on conditioning, and he would put four garbage cans in the corners. And those were in case someone needed to lose their lunch mid-practice, which, incidentally, I did. <laughs> I got about three quarters of the way through. I'm a, I literally, I'm going to pass out. I feel so terrible, but I'm, gonna, I'm trying. I walk over to the garbage. I do what you do in the garbage can, and then I'm just like, this is over. <laughs> this no, I didn't make the six-minute mile. I, so I just walked out, of, walked out of the tryouts. I shower. I get ready to go home. But we're so close to the end, the team comes in, and, and one of the guys goes, hey, coach wants to talk to you. I'm like, yeah, of course he does. <laughs> He's give me the good news that I'm not on the team. So anyway, I walk into to him, and I say, hey, uh, yeah, what did you need? He said, you all right? I said, well, I mean... <laughs> Did you not see what was going on out there? No, I'm not. I don't feel very good. He said, yeah, come tomorrow. So I came back, and I came back on Wednesday. I came back every day all week, and on Friday, I made the team. Now, that was grace, because not only was I, I was good enough for the team in my estimation. Of course, we all are, but <laughs> in my estimation, I was good enough for the team, but I didn't perform good enough for the team. I didn't meet the standards of the team, and he extended grace. And here's what I would say about every single person in this room. If you took a second to think about a time in your life where you either extended grace to someone or grace was extended to you, you could probably think of many examples. Some turned out great, some not so great. Maybe that assistant principal looked the other way for you. Maybe a professor let you retake a test. Maybe officer friendly gave you a warning instead of a ticket. These are examples of grace. But the problem is that grace comes at the discretion of the grace giver, not the grace receiver, which raises an issue of fairness, doesn't it? And we all know that life is not, but we still want it to be fair. 
And when it comes to God in heaven and getting into heaven, here's what I sort of figured out. Is that we hold God to a standard of fairness that's sort of universally accepted. I don't know if you know this. We kind of hold him to a standard of, that's of fairness that's universally across the world. And it really probably has nothing to do with grace or maybe it has everything to do with grace, depending how we talk about it. But this is what I want to do. I'm going to jump in and talk about grace. But before we do, because grace is good news, I want to talk about some bad news. And let me first illustrate it with a story I came across this week. A Sunday school teacher was given the task of telling his six-year-old Sunday school students how to get to heaven. Seems simple. So he said, he decided, decides that what he's going to do is he's going to actually ask the kids some, stu- some, some questions to kind of get a baseline about what they know already. And so he says, hey, what? so tell me this. If I sold my car and I, I, I sold my house and I had a garage sale and I gave all the money to the church, would I go to heaven? And then all the kids in the class, no. I said, okay, well, what about if I cleaned the church every day and then I mowed my yard and I kept everything neat and tidy? Would I go to heaven then? No. Okay, what if I was kind to animals and I gave kids candy and I loved my wife? How about then? No. And he finally says, okay, so how would someone get to heaven? And the kid in the back stood up and said, you got to be dead. (laughs) It's not good news. (laughs) It's not good news. (laughs) But like I said, we have this universally accepted standard of fairness that we hold God to. The first one is you got to be dead. (laughs) But there's more to it than that. There's a lot more to it than that. The second thing is that we agree on this, this uh, holding God to this standard of fairness is, well, let me just say this. We each define fairness our own way. And truthfully, if, if I'm being honest, none of us actually want fairness, right? You know how I know this? Because the kid with the biggest piece of cake isn't the one going, that's not fair, mine's bigger than his. <laughs> what we actually want is favor, and we're going to talk about that today. But this universally accepted standard of fairness that we hold God to, it crosses cultural, ethnic, economic boundaries. It crosses social and even religious boundaries as every world religion has a version of this belief system. And it's this, good people go to heaven. And here's how it works. There's a good God who lives in a good place, where the good people go, and you get there by being good and doing good and not doing not good stuff. Seems fair, doesn't it? Not in the least. It's not fair at all. Because immediately after we've defined this, we have a problem. And the problem is, what is good? Right? Now, Certain groups, by the way, of zealots are convinced that bombing places and blowing up people is good and actually secures their place in heaven. Maybe you're like me and your God says, love your neighbor. Is their God good? Well, they think so. Is my God good? Well, well I think so. <laughs> and, 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 and beyond that, you know, if... if uh, Being good, the way I have defined good, gets me to heaven, the way I measure good, then those terrorists won't be there. 
So we already have a problem right from the get-go. You say, okay, well, okay, let's go to the next level because let's talk about our conscience because your conscience can help you get there. Well, our consciences actually don't inform us on good. They inform us on bad. Your conscience kicks in when you're doing something that you are like, well, that's not good. And even trickier is this fact that our consciences change. Our view on ethics and morals, they change over time. As an example, if you think about our wretched era of slave trading in America, there were whole segments of people who would come to churches like this, sing hymns, praise God, pray, and leave and engage in owning and selling people as property just because the color of their skin. That makes us sick to our stomach today. Our consciences have changed. But even more than that, not culturally, just individually, our conscience, and you're like, no, mine's probably the same. No, let me ask you a question. If, you, if, you, if you're not believing that your conscience has changed, which conscience is God judging you by? Your two-year-old self-conscience? Your 20-year-old college away from home for the first time conscience? Maybe it's your pre-Jesus conscience or your post-Jesus conscience. Which one? I don't know. Do you? Yeah, no, none of us do. Okay, and now, I, okay, but some of you are out there and you're going, okay, I'm gonna stand up and scream. What about the Bible? What about the Ten Commandments? Great question. I would like you to know something very important. There is no connection between heaven and the Ten Commandments whatsoever, period. The Ten Commandments are recorded in the book of Exodus, and just for point of reference, there is not a single mention of afterlife in the book of Exodus. As a matter of fact, Moses, who wrote much of the law, led a whole section of religious leaders to believe that there was no afterlife at all. So it can't be the Ten Commandments. Moses showed up at a time when Israel had been enslaved for 400 years. They had no codes of civility or societal norms. And these Ten Commandments were given to guide them as a people group who had just been freed from 400 years of slavery. Now, incidentally, if you're banking on the Ten Commandments to get you into heaven, we're all out of luck already. Anyone in the room covet? Well, you're done. Anyone dishonor their parents? By the way, let me just say this. We think that there are 10 commandments that we have to follow. As you read through Exodus, there are dozens of commandments. Some of them had really interesting consequences attached to the behavior. For instance, how about this one, Exodus 21, 17? Anyone who curses their father or mother is put to death. That doesn't really help me get to heaven, but I know where I'm going, at least, I guess. So you say, well, maybe, you know what it must be? I bet God's grading on a curve. <laughs> yeah, he's probably grading us on a curve. And, and this immediately creates a problem because let's just assume that everyone in the world could agree on this goodness standard. Let's just, we don't. It's very clear, we don't. We're not even close. But let's just assume we did agree. Here's a question. What percentage on the 
I have to be good to go to heaven. Test, do I need to get 100%? 10? 50%? You know what it is? Probably 51% if I do more good than bad, or maybe more good than you, or less bad than you. Oh, but wait, hold on. <laughs> this is tricky because if you're graded on curve, did Mother Teresa screw it up for everyone? <laughs> See, it's a problem that we have to address. And furthermore, if good people go to heaven, why is God so unclear about good? It seems like the Bible's pretty clear. We just you know, put to death if you dishonor your parents. He's pretty clear about that one. Why isn't he clear about the good standard? Well, this is not a fair or good God if goodness gets us into heaven, as we've just discussed. So the next step is, well, you know, Exodus and the Ten Commandments, that was Old Testament, right? So what about Jesus? Ah, glad you asked. Because Jesus taught it a little differently. You know what he taught? He actually taught that good people don't go to heaven. Yeah, good people don't go to heaven. And he decided he was going to give people what they don't deserve instead of what they do deserve. You know, who did Jesus have the most trouble with? Do you know? Yeah, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of law. Their jobs were to keep the law and the commandments, and they were better than everyone else at doing this, everyone else in the world. Look what Jesus says to them. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. By the way, He's not really thinking that you can be more religiously righteous than them by keeping the law or the rules better. They didn't really like that. As a matter of fact, he eventually was crucified for that, which is good news. But we'll get to that in a minute. See, he actually, by the way, had a higher standard. He said, oh yeah, the Old Testament says don't commit adultery. But I say... Don't look at a woman lustfully. Sorry, guys, we're all not going to heaven. <laughs> he says, Old Testament is don't murder. New Testament is don't be angry and commit murder in your heart. Oh, ladies, you've just joined us. <laughs> <laughs> so... What about the bad guys then? Maybe it's the bad guys that go to heaven. That's all we got left now, right? <laughs> this is where it gets actually kind of interesting because if you recall, when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified between two criminals. And they had a very interesting conversation right at the end. I'm going to read it to you and then let's talk about it. It says this, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for getting, uh, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered, truly, 
I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Let me ask you, what was this criminal's master list of do good that Jesus told him justified him for heaven? I'll give you a little hint. There isn't one. Save some time. What he did to inherit heaven was confess that he was not good and incapable of getting there on his own. He says, hey, we're here. We're being killed because we're criminals. We're getting what we deserve, dude. Tone it down over there. So let's talk about grace. This is the favor that we think is fairness that we really want. We want favor. And you know, it's kind of interesting. I was kind of studying this and looking at the whole Bible. You know, in in Exodus, um, when it talks about God, Exodus 34, his nature is very, very clearly disguised or described as gracious. Exodus 34, he says, Lord, you're a gracious, compassionate God. And it goes on. And over and over, his nature of graciousness is brought up. As a matter of fact, I think 40 plus times in the book of Psalms, the people of Israel appeal to God's graciousness because it's such a hallmark of his character. So they know that. But in the Old Testament, gracious, or the word for gracious is chenin, uh, it's called. And it's from a word chenin or chen. And I have something in my throat, but no, I'm joking. That's how you say it. I'm Jewish, apparently, all of a sudden. Um, the, the, the word actually means grace or favor. And in the Old Testament, in Psalm 45, the poets were said to have lips of hen or lips of grace because they could take words and craft delightful, favorable things. And, and uh, they could take, make beautiful words as gifts for other people. So they called it lips of hen. And then in, uh, in, in Proverbs chapter one, we're told that jewelry was called an ornament of hen, right? You'd give something beautiful to something that was delightful and brought fa- it was out of favor. I would give you this gift. And so in cases where, where we give something to someone graciously, that would be referred to as hen. Like, here's a good example. If you remember the story of Esther in the uh, Old Testament, she goes to the king of Persia and uh, she, she asks the king, can you spare me and the, all of my people, the people of Israel, from death? And she refers to this as a request for hen. Gracious, be gracious to us. And the king does this because he delights in her and he finds, he favors her and he grants a request. But maybe even a more extreme example would be when hen or grace is given to someone who doesn't deserve it. Remember Jacob and Esau, right? The two brothers born just minutes apart. They started fighting from the beginning. Well, Jacob... He stole from his brother. He sold a birthright and he did a bunch of bad stuff to his brother. And then he runs away for 20 years. 20 years he's gone. And then after 20 years, he decides, I want to try and make it right with my brother. So he decides to return. And he doesn't go back and say, hey, brother, are we cool? It's been a long time. I'm a pretty good brother. You should just, we should be good now. No, that's not what he does, actually. He realizes that he cheated his brother and he goes back to him and he says, may I find hen in your eyes? 
May I find favor and grace in your eyes. Now, remarkably, his brother offers him the grace and they reconcile. It's a beautiful thing. He didn't deserve it. There's no reason his brother should have done that, except he wanted to offer grace at a very costly price, by the way. Maybe he could have renegotiated some of the things he'd given up previously in the relationship, but no, he doesn't do that. He just offered him ten. So the question for us, well, the New Testament word, by the way, is charis, means the same thing, grace or favor. And uh, you see this in John chapter one, when Jesus is introduced to us, John chapter one, verse 14, we're told that Jesus is God's glorious charis, God's glorious grace in the flesh, became human to live here in a world and minister and bring grace to the people who are trapped in darkness. You, me, you, you, and everyone else in the world. And we find no list of good deeds anywhere in the Bible that tell us what we have to do to get to heaven. We see that it's not being good that gets us into heaven, but we're not left in the dark about how to get to heaven. The Bible's really clear, and Jesus was really clear about that. He says this one thing that separates Christianity from every other religion. He says, I'm how you get to heaven, through my grace, that I offer freely as a favor, because I find favor on you. All you have to do is receive it. See, we don't like to admit this, but the truth is self-evident. We are not good people. Otherwise, we could get rid of stoplights and speed limits and the little warning on the back of CDs that says don't duplicate this because it's a violation of, anyway. (laughs) See, we're not good enough because we're not good. And God is. That's where the whole good people go to the good place to be with the good God comes from in the first place. We're not good and we can't do it on our own. So we have to receive his grace. There needs to be a sacrifice to make up for the difference between his holiness, perfection, and our lack of holiness, imperfection, and our sin. Yeah, I just said the S word. Sin, because we all sin. Here's the way Romans 8 says it. It says this. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature God did by sending his own son, the one who came full of grace and truth in John chapter one, in the likeness of a sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. Praise God. Good news. We can get into heaven and it doesn't matter how good you are. I think that maybe the reason the Bible doesn't give us a list of, you know, good things to do, behaviors we have to engage in that are going to qualify us for heaven, is because he realized we didn't need a to-do list, which we could execute with no heart change. He wanted us to understand we're incapable of getting there I want your heart to change and understand you need a savior. Very different. John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the Bible says, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, the God of Christianity never claims to be fair. God sending his son to die for my sin and failure is not fair. But God goes beyond fair because he wants to give favor and graciousness to us so that we can be restored. Like that Austin story, we can be restored into a right relationship that he created us to live in the beauty and the fullness of who he wanted us to be in the first place. So you want to know what's fair? Let's talk about fair then. Here's what's fair. According to John 3, 16, everyone is welcome. That's awesome. You know what else is fair? Everyone gets in the same way. That's fair. And everyone can meet the standard because you're not meeting the standard. He is on your behalf. So here's what I want to do. The band is going to come up. We're going to close in some worship tunes and uh, just, just trying to give our heart to the understanding and knowledge of this gracious gift that God has given to us. Here, at the beginning, I started by saying, you know, you, grace can produce a script of entitlement. It doesn't produce, a, if, it, if heart change is not attached. And here's what I want us to think about as we're closing today. If you believe God has to do something for you, I want you to think about what we've talked about today. What does he owe you? Does he owe you something? Based on your goodness? Or what does he offer? Everything. He offers you the life you were created to live. And so maybe some of you are here and you're like, I, I'm not, I've never even taken that first step of putting my faith in God's grace. I'm still kind of trying to do that. I'm good enough and my conscience will tell me and I'll live, try and follow the 10 commandments and maybe there's a curve, I'll pass. I don't know, we'll see. If you haven't done that, I want you to consider today making that first step. As Austin was saying in his video, just move your foot one little bit forward. Just a little bit. Meet Jesus where he wants to meet you in his grace. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for not being fair. Thank you that instead you wanted to be gracious and give us what we did not deserve. Leave the true fairness would have separated me from you. Thank you for giving me what I don't deserve, which is your favor and your grace in my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. 
And if you've not taken that first step, I want you in your head or out loud, however you feel, to say this to God right now. I place my faith in you as my savior. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place. As we keep our heads bowed, if that's you today, if you prayed that, I want to ask that you meet, come up here. We have Derek. I see Derek's over here, and I know see Dave and Susie, my wife's here too. We'd love to talk with you and help you get connected into a next step. Maybe you're here, though, and you're a follower of Jesus, but you realize you don't really fully appreciate the grace of God in your life. <laughs> too often you try and do it on your own anyways, try and muster up the strength to be good enough for God's approval, even though he's already given it to you. And if that's you, I want you to confess before Jesus today in this moment and say, Jesus, I give it all to you. I realize I am powerless without you. Lord Jesus, we love you so much and we're grateful for the beautiful gift that you've given to us. Help us live into it and be grateful for it and change our hearts. Amen.